You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, we're talking about Maven. Maven? What is Maven? Well, if you're wondering, you've come to the right place, but it's a program that's out there reaching youth with apologetics and preparing them to reach another generation here, to reach their classmates, their friends, everyone else. And who's behind that? It's Brett Conker, formerly from Stand to Reason. We've interviewed several great people from Stand to Reason on the show, including Greg himself twice. But now Brett's gone out and started his own organization, Maven Apologetics. Who is he? He's the founder and president of Maven, a movement to equip the next generation, know truth, pursue goodness, and create beauty. He has more than 25 years of experience working with junior high, high school, and college students. Brett has developed a groundbreaking approach to mission trips, creating a one-of-a-kind experience that immerses participants in real-life engagement in apologetics, theology, worldview, and evangelism in Berkeley, California, and Salt Lake City, Utah. In addition, Brett is a teaching fellow at the Impact 360 Institute. He was an associate editor for the Apologetics Study Bible for students and co-authored A Practical Guide to Culture, helping the next generation navigate today's world. He received his Master's in Philosophy of Religion and Ethics from Talbot School of Theology. He lives with his wife and kids in Southern California. Brett, welcome to a Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you, Nick. It really is an honor to be mm. on your podcast mm. and uh, to be part of the great lineup that you've had on your podcast. So uh, I'm glad to talk to you. Yeah, I, I won't deny it. Feels really good to hear that kind of thing. Uh, if my audience doesn't know who you are, could you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, well, I, um, I grew up in the church. My parents became believers when I was I was just uh, ten months old, and uh, they had some just good old Southern Baptist neighbors who just kept sharing Christ with them, and they came to Christ when I was a baby. So I uh, I had the, the just the privilege of growing up in the church, and uh, was very involved. Uh, I mean I was like in every children's program, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night church. Uh, there was a program when I was in elementary called Royal Ambassadors. When I got into junior high and high school, I got really involved with our church's youth ministry. I became a student leader in our church ministry. Uh, my junior year in high school, I actually uh, made a, a public commitment to go into full-time ministry. And my freshman year in college, I was doing some internship in youth ministry, but I was also attending a uh, a community college here in Southern California. And uh, my freshman year, I had a philosophy professor at that community college who basically took that semester and dismantled uh, my Christian faith. He challenged me in class. 
Uh, I would uh, I would just be caught flat-footed. I didn't know how to answer his challenges. I would go to his office after class and try to debate him in the privacy of his office so I didn't look so foolish in front of my classmates. And he just dismantled me. He just asked me questions I could not answer. And at that point, I just really did not know anything about apologetics. And it was through that process of being challenged and and really doubting uh, and discovering apologetics that apologetics became this really key tool that helped to rebuild my faith in Christ. And um, uh, and and so what happened is I was you know starting to do youth ministry. Eventually, I became the junior high pastor at my church. I did high school ministry. I did college ministry. And as a local youth pastor, I knew that many of those kids were just like me. They grew up in the church. They uh, you know had been involved in in the church for the first eighteen years of their life. And yet the church often does not equip them and they go, they're going to go off to college. They're going to go off to the workforce. They're going to have a skeptical friend who challenges them and they're not going to be ready. And that was me. And, uh, and of course, if you're not ready and you don't discover the resources, you don't get help like I did, uh, we, we see a lot of young people walk away. The, the, the rationality of their faith is undermined and they walk away. And so what I started doing as a youth pastor was I said, I've gotta, I've gotta incorporate all this apologetics that I'm learning that's helping me, that's giving me confidence that this stuff is actually true. I've gotta incorporate that into my youth ministries. And so that's what I started doing. I started teaching my junior hires apologetics, uh, my high schoolers, and just made that really the foundation of my youth ministry for the 11 years that I was doing youth ministry. And uh, and then after doing that, I ended up joining Standard Reason and was the student impact director for 14 years there, just trying to help equip you know churches to do the same. And uh, that's kind of what, what launched me into this. Yeah, I'd like to know when you're out there and you're trying to find these answers based on what your professor was doing with you and such. A, where did you go to find them? How did you find them? Well, I started asking church leaders. I asked uh, uh, pastors at my church, mm-hmm. and um, I, and there the uh, I remember a huge mentor of mine, uh, pastor. Uh, he didn't have any direct answers for me at the moment that I would raise, you know, particular issues or questions. Mm-hmm. But he never shut my questions down. Always let me ask them, and then he said, "Well, let me do some investigation." And I think it caused him to wrestle with these things a little bit himself. And then he would come back, and he would he would offer me, you know, some uh, some different answers to those those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another uh, pastor who I was working with, who he 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 knew about apologetics, and so mm-hmm. the very first apologetics book I ever had uh, uh, was J.P. Moreland's book, Scaling the Secular City. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're familiar with that. You know yeah. that that is a, uh, I mean, that is a fine defense of the Christian faith. In fact, at that point, that just blew me out of the water. I didn't, I could barely understand, you know, stuff that he was saying there, uh, because this is my first introduction. But at the very least, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, here's a really sophisticated defense of Christianity from a really smart guy, from a guy who has a bona fide PhD, and that alone. Uh, you know, helped bolster me to say, okay, mm-hmm. there's some really smart people thinking about this. So JP's book was uh, was was huge for me, and um, and then you know I had other people I went to. I remember going to an elder at my church, 
and asking him some of these questions. And he just wasn't equipped. And I remember he's, he, I, he was kind of, you could see him kind of sweating as I was asking him questions. And uh, finally he just said, well, you know, Brad, I, I just have faith. I just mm-hmm. have faith. And he offered, you know, just this kind of this, this picture of a blind faith you believe in spite of the evidence against it and that was just deeply unsatisfying to me and I'm glad that I continued searching and I'm glad there were some people at my church who were able to help me in that mm-hmm. you know I'm same thing you've done so much to help other people through stand to reason and now through maven and all of that could have been lost and you could have been out there being another Richard Dawkins for all we know Without yeah. that apologetics help. But the thing is that not only could all that have been lost, that we could be missing out on several other Brett Kunkos out there because we're not equipping our young people with apologetics. You, you know, Nick, I think that is a really, really important point that you just made. Uh, and I've seen it. I, have, I remember speaking at a, a leaders' conference uh, in Rhode Island, uh, in mm-hmm. Providence, probably six or seven years ago. And one thing that I've, I've learned to do is uh, uh, to do, do an atheist role play in part of my presentations. I think you've done that with, uh, with Jay Warner Wallace, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, uh, we've done things like that together. Um, I, you know, it really kind of came out of these missions experiences that I was taking students on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, developed through my work at Standard Reason, it developed, um, well, actually before I even joined Standard Reason, I had done the Utah mission trip with my, my youth groups and then started doing them in Standard Reason. And then I uh, expanded and Jay, uh, Jim gave me the idea for the Berkeley trip. And so we added the Berkeley, uh, apologetics mission experience, but it was through seeing students get challenged on these trips Mm-hmm. that I, uh, I started realizing, okay, I might not be able to take all these students that I speak to to Berkeley. I can bring Berkeley to them. And so I would role play an atheist because I saw when students got exposed to an atheist and got challenged, it kind of woke them up and mm-hmm. it motivated them. And they realized, oh, wait, I don't know my faith as well as I thought I knew, uh, you know, knew it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that kind of rattled them, but that created motivation for them to take this stuff seriously and to care about the life of the mind, to care about apologetics, to care about worldview, to care about good Christian thinking. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I start, you know, I so I started saying, okay, well, I'm going to start doing that with these groups that I speak to. So ba- back to this conference, I did this with a group of leaders, about 80 uh, leaders and pastors and youth workers. And uh, during the dialogue, there was a guy in particular who got up and he was, you know, he was interacting with my atheist character. And he said, you know, the reason why I know this is real is because of the Holy Spirit. And I feel the Holy Spirit in my life. And, and so I just kind of gave my standard comeback. Well, there are other people who are religious who will make the same kind of claim. Mormons say the same thing. So why mm-hmm. should I accept what you believe, you know, over the Mormon? And, and I, I ended up stumping him. He had no good response. And uh, he just he kind of ended up sitting down. Afterwards, he came up to me and he said, hey, can I talk with you privately? And I said, sure. And he burst into tears and he pulled me aside. He was, I could tell he was a little embarrassed. And, but then he started sharing with me. He said, can you please talk to my son? And he told me his son had grown up in the church, mm. had been on fire for Christ, had even preached in their service, church services, mm-hmm. had been sharing Christ with his friends. And now he said, my son is totally questioning his faith and uh, he, he's walking away. 
So I ended up sitting down with a son who was there. And this, I'm telling you, Nick, this kid was so smart. He was intelligent. He was well-spoken. Mm-hmm. He was articulate. And he had been reading philosophy. And he had been reading some science stuff and uh, stuff that conflicted with his faith. Uh, but this was a bright, I mean, this he was super smart. And he, but he was in the process of walking away. And by the time I got to him, uh, it was too late at that point. Uh, he had kind of made his decision. And, and I thought we, we, at least for some time and, and, and hopefully the Lord brings him back, but at least at this point, we've lost one of our best and brightest, uh, a kid who had you know, a solid mind that we in the church could have Mm -hmm. fostered and nurtured and, and who could have contributed, you know, wonderful things to uh, Christianity. But, uh, so I think this is a really important point you make. Yeah. You know, if there are some parents out there listening now, they're thinking, I wish I would have done this now earlier and such. I'm remembering a quote that uh, your former boss, Greg Coker, gave about a Chinese proverb asking a question, when is the best time to plant a tree? Answer, 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. So, you know, maybe that tree of apologetics should have been planted 20 years ago, but it's too late to go back and change the past. Can't do that. So maybe you should plant that tree today. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about Maven here. Now, honestly, uh, my inquisitive mind, the first question that comes to my mind when I hear about Maven is, what does the name Maven mean? <laughs> that's the biggest question we get. And actually, that's, that's done on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. So here's the thinking. Uh, 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 we wanted to choose a name for the organization because our, our, we have two target audiences, Nick. Mm-hmm. Our mm-hmm. first target audience is young people. We mm-hmm. want to reach junior high, high school, and college students and help equip them with Christian truth, with, with the Christian worldview, with apologetics and theology and, and biblical studies and all that good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we know about today's kid uh, and the kids that we wanna reach in the typical evangelical church is that these, these kids don't identify with apologetics largely unless they've already had some, some training. Mm-hmm. But the typical kid in our typical evangelical church, they don't even know what apologetics is. I didn't. And uh, yeah, and I didn't either. Uh, and so that's the we we want to be an entry point for that kid. We want to be their first introduction to this. And so, but we know that apologetics, the, that word, has no appeal to them. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to we wanted to pick a name that was not apologeticy, or didn't sound overly scholarly, or didn't come with some of the baggage that you and I know apologetics can come with. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we also wanted a name that still communicates what we want to do. Well, what's a maven? A maven is, uh, is someone who has knowledge in a particular field and then seeks to pass that on to other people. Nice. And that's exactly what we want to be. We want to be mm-hmm. a maven to young people. We want to help young people become mavens of the truth. Mm-hmm. And then we also want to help do that with parents and youth pastors and leaders uh, to help them to do that with their own young people. So a maven is someone who knows the truth and seeks to pass it along. And that's that's what we want to do through maven. Now, I noticed that you have an emphasis in your program listing about truth, goodness, and beauty. And I'm wondering, was that influenced by Mortimer Adler's work on the sixth grade ideas? 
Uh, well, yes. I mean, indirectly, um, yes. And it, it kind of just, I would say it's part of that larger conversation mm -hmm. uh, of, you know, these, these classic transcendentals. Um, and and I, I'd say one influence would also just be um, kind of our own family's foray into classical education with our own kids. We, mm -hmm. uh, we homeschool our kids and we, there's, there's insights that we take from classical education. Uh, and so, yeah, so there's a number of things I would say that influenced on this, influenced me on this. But, but one of the things I want to communicate uh, is, is that knowing God's truth is not mm -hmm. something that that simply remains in the mind, right? This is mm -hmm. a, we don't we, we're, we're yeah. the, the end all be all is not just to have apologetic knowledge or mm -hmm. you know what we wanted to communicate is that this is a uh, this is a lifestyle, right? This is it's a lifestyle of truth. It is God's truth is to be known, mm -hmm. but it's also to be lived out, and that's where I think the idea of you know the the three phrases that we focus on are no truth, pursue goodness and create beauty. So mm -hmm. for us, that, that, that emphasizes a holistic view. Because unfortunately, when we talk about apologetics, a lot of people think, well, all it is is just it's knowing a bunch of stuff, it's knowing a bunch of arguments and debating people. And of course, you and I know that's not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, it comes with this baggage. And so we purposely wanted to create a, a brand, if you will, an organization, a ministry that uh, that does apologetics and does it well, but that helps communicate a little broader uh, of what we want to accomplish, that knowing the truth is part of it. Knowing and defending God's truth is a huge part of it, but this should cash out in our lives. It should be lived out. It has a huge impact, and it's not all head. It's, you know, as often apologetics is characterized, it's head, heart, and hands. It's the mm. whole package. And, um, and I think that, so those, those three words help capture just a, a worldview approach, a world and life view that this will be lived out uh, mm -hmm. as we pursue goodness and as we create beautiful things and give them back to the world and let those things be pointers to our creator. You know, I, I really like the whole emphasis also on create beautiful things. As in, see, if you're around me, the amount of times see me on public or see me on Facebook, I and mean, people often assume I'm like one of those guys on the Big Bang Theory, the big intellectual type and such. And yes, that's what I delight in doing. Uh -huh. uh, meanwhile, you also know if you see me for, for any length of time, I love my wife. My wife is not a big intellectual type. Uh -huh. And so I think sometimes if you're not intellectual, it can give you the impression where apologetics just isn't for me. That's for all those really smart people and such. But yeah, then I see you've got something with with creating beauty, which tells me she's an artist, so can an artist then work with Maven in apologetics? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the things that we've been brainstorming and we're planning, and I, what, I, what I, would, I hope to do is in 2019, mm -hmm. uh, actually do a conference for young people, for junior hires and high schoolers mm -hmm. and even college students, where we bring together good Christian thought, good mm -hmm. Christian thinking, good Christian worldview mm -hmm. with the arts. And so where we would look at, we would focus on arts like uh, filmmaking mm -hmm. and music and writing and painting and drawing, but then other not what we might call non-traditional art forms like uh, DJing or fashion design. 
right? These are all ways in which we tell the world what is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get young people in who are interested in the arts, and I want to connect them with good, solid truth mm-hmm. and ground them in the truth, but then give them a vision for how their their artistic expression can express the great truths of Christianity mm-hmm. and how they can do it in a way that's not cheesy, that's not corny, that's not you know your typical Christian cliche film, oh, yes. uh, but can do it with excellence. Uh, and so that's a conference where we want to help bring good theology, good Christian worldview together with the arts. And uh, right now, I'm, I'm, you know, we're trying to raise funding for that because that's a conference that we really think is important for the future uh, of the church. Well, if you uh, if you include anime in bed, I think I know someone who'd be very interested in helping out. No, oh, absolutely, absolutely. my when you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest today is Brett Kunkel. We're talking about his organization, Maven, Maven Apologetics. That's M-A-V-E-N. But if you're listening next week, one of the questions that often comes up is creation and evolution. And there are actually some Christians out there who have no problem with evolutionary theory. And there's a book that's been released this year, Creation or evolution, old of creation specifically, or evolution. Do we have to choose? I'm going to be having someone from Biologos and someone from Reasons to Believe on, and we're going to be discussing this issue back and forth about the merits and demerits of each view, and leave it up to you to decide which of these two or that, that you want. Now, the book doesn't cover young of creationism, so we're not bringing that one in yet. But that, we have had a debate on that topic before, as aware. But next week, it's older creation or evolutionary creation. But to get back to Brett here, you mean so you're telling me actually that you can make a Christian movie sometime, and you you don't have to explicitly spare out the gospel and shove it down our throats. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. I think uh, sometimes we as Christians we. Um, we end up turning art into mm-hmm. propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's well-intentioned. I mean, that yeah. may be, maybe that's uncharitable, but that's what it comes across to the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think we need to, we need to understand, uh, you know, get a better picture of beauty and how beauty points back to the beautiful one, our creator. Um, I think we need to recapture the idea that excellence in beauty, doing mm-hmm. the best art in and of itself, points back to our creator. Mm-hmm. Just as we look into the natural world and we see beauty, the, the beauty of a, a mountaintop or a picturesque valley or waterfalls mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, or the ocean, mm-hmm. these things, the beauty itself points back to the beautiful one behind them. And it's not that, you know, the word Jesus is written on every tree right. or, uh, you know, is etched in clouds in the sky. 
It's that the beauty itself points to something transcendent. And mm -hmm. in the same way, we can create films that are beautiful. We can create art that's beautiful. And the, the excellence of the art will, can point us back to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we, we can't weave Christ in as well. Mm -hmm. But I think we also have to be more savvy about how we do that. You know, and this is where we look to, you know, we, great examples of course in, in modern, modern history are, are guys like, you know, Tolkien and Lewis. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we just, we just don't do that very well in the evangelical church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you read, say, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia or the Space Trilogy, you're not going to find much explicitly said about Jesus. And you might get a little bit closer from the Space Trilogy and such, or talking about God coming to Earth and things like that and such. But you, you don't have it explicitly spelled out. Definitely not in Lord of the Rings. And yet these are classics. Even non-Christians quite often love the works, the fictional works at least, of Tolkien and Lewis. And today, when a Christian movie comes out, I mean, I think you can get a good audience. The problem is the audience is people who are already Christians. So we're getting very good at reaching our own. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's now it's kind of ironic because I think a lot of these Christian films with the explicit message about Jesus mm -hmm. or a, a, an explicit gospel message, their aim is evangelistic. And so they want to reach the unbeliever. But it turns out that that's largely ineffective, and what they get is the home crowd, right? Yeah. You get mostly Christians watching it, and yet it's supposed to be evangelistic, and so it's just, it's not doing what even it's intended to, to do. Uh, and I think, um, you know, we, we need to realize that art is actually limited. It's limited in terms of, I think, communicating uh, the gospel, right? I don't think a movie mm. is the best way to share the gospel. It doesn't mean you can't do it that right. way. You know, there may be room for that. But if we look to that as a primary means to share the gospel, mm -hmm. then uh, I, I think we're, our, our, uh, you know, we're, our actions are misplaced there. I think the, the, the primary vehicle for proclaiming the gospel are individual believers and the, and the church. Mm -hmm. That's the primary vehicle that God wants to use. And I think what art can do is uh, really help us in setting kind of the conditions, right? Uh, helping, helping to make an impact on maybe the secularism of the culture, helping us to see that, you know, so sometimes we want to kind of hit the home run with every movie, mm -hmm. right? So the next big Christian movie is just going to be that one movie that's just going to reach the masses. And I, I don't know, sometimes I, I, the way it's communicated, I wonder if Christians think that, you know, through this one Christian movie, millions are going to come to follow Christ mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's going to change the tide of the culture. Well, these things don't work that way. Typically, uh, God of course can do whatever he wants, but generally I think mm -hmm. what, what, what one thing that art can do is, is help, uh, give us glimpses into, uh, a, a theistic world for, for instance, mm -hmm. it can chip away at maybe the, a naturalistic picture. So he, let me just give you an example. I okay. think there, you know, there's the, um, the, uh, the the Netflix series Stranger Things. Oh, my and, wife loves that show. Yeah, you know, and and there's I here now. Of course, there, you know, there's mm. some issues with it, and I know Christians debate. You know, there's always that debate about what Christians should watch and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, and I want sometimes I think we need to get past just hey the language in it or you know that kind of thing. But think about the larger kind of worldview implications, yeah. right, of Stranger Things. Stranger Things kind of show, you know, I th through this, 
this this series, it kind of get it provides a anti naturalistic world, mm-hmm. right? You've right. got uh, this in kind of enchanted world, and uh, and that kind of thing done very well can kind of chip away at the secularism, at naturalism, and get people wondering, like, gosh, is there more to it than just what I what I can see, mm-hmm. right? That's now that that can be done really well by Christians, right? And it doesn't preach the gospel explicitly, mm-hmm. but what it opens up our minds to and our hearts to is the possibility that there's something more than just the physical, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing. Gosh, I wish that was it was a Christian who you know did that series, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the kind of thing that I I I really want to see the church do. But I think that also takes some good thinking combined with it, mm-hmm. because oftentimes Christian artists unfortunately, get into that world. And I, I know it's a challenging world to be in, and they begin to simply adopt the ideas of the uh, the artistic culture, which is often very antithetical to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So how do we help how do we help capture those young Christian artists early on, ground them in Christian truth, let the truth be an anchor for their souls so that they are equipped to go back in and create really beautiful art? Mm-hmm. in a world that's often antithetical to Christianity. Mm. You know, Brett, you've been talking so much about all these dangers that our young people are facing and such. You know, maybe the panic button is just being pushed too quickly. You know, I mean, maybe it, it, it's not as bad as we think, and these people could still even come back to the faith and such. I mean, just how bad is the situation? Well, my assessment is that... Um, it's pretty bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I don't think I'm just sounding an alarm just to kind of be alarmist, mm-hmm. or you know, sometimes uh, you know I'll hear people say, "Oh, you just be an alarmist to you know to raise more money for your organization or something like that." And not, not, I, I I I tried to think carefully about this. I watch culture very carefully. I'm very concerned about it because mm-hmm. I have five of my own kids that I'm raising in this culture. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I think it's I think it's maybe worse than we realize. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the two of the things that really make it worse than we even know is is uh, technology. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've done well in managing technology within the church. Uh, in fact, I think we we often just kind of follow the culture on these things. But technology, and then the second thing is pornography. Oh, yes. Uh, I think those two things, and not just, of course, not just in the church, but in the larger culture, Mm -hmm. those two things, I think, are making it a huge challenge for us. And I think we haven't seen, well, I mean, I don't think we've seen really the resulting damage of those two things yet. I think we're getting glimpses. I think this whole, uh, all the stuff. Uh, uh, all the stuff that's come out in ho- starting in Hollywood, now extending into the political realm about the sexual harassment of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a glimpse into uh, the uh, you know the uh, the evil that's simply in our culture, and uh, and I think for our young people, often uh, it's not it's not the attack of the atheist against their Christianity that is the primary thing that kind of takes them down. I think it's the slow chipping away of their faith that social media does. Uh, When they are in front of a screen for seven or eight hours a day, uh, when they are scrolling through social media uh, on on end throughout the day, uh, and then when they have access to pornography, I mean, Mm -hmm. those things right there chip away at their faith over time. 
and uh, and make Christianity seem less plausible and less desirable. Sin has you know this mm. allure to it, and I think those two things are really serious challenges to the Christian faith. Now, I think we still need to do good apologetics even if that may not be, you know, the atheist challenge is the biggest challenge. I think we still need to do that stuff because I think that will lay a foundation for young people. But um, I think we also have to address these other things as well because I think I think it's really challenging out there for young people. And I, I just know that from experience as a parent. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, a tough, it's a tough deal. And um, yeah, and so there's a number of indicators that, that suggest, yeah, things have, th- things have been really challenging for the church over the last 20 years, and we're starting to uh, kind of reap some of this. Uh, I'm especially glad you mentioned an area like pornography, for instance, as being problematic, because a lot of people think it's just intellectual objections, where no, it isn't. And I mean, the statistics are that more and more our young people are losing their virginity at an earlier and earlier age. I mean, I didn't get married until I was nearly 30, and I, I kept it until I got married. Mm-hmm. And such, but it, it's a whole lot harder. And even people that my own parents grew up with, I see that they'll get a divorce, and next thing I know, they're living with someone before getting married. And be, this is someone who quite likely grew up in the church, and they just say, well, What's the big deal? and such. And most of our young people don't know what the big deal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where, uh, you know, there's a sociologist, Mark Regneris. Mm-hmm. I believe he's at the University of Texas. Uh, he's doing some really good work on this. But, you know, he talks about how um, sexuality, you know, the sexuality of evangelical students and kids, uh, you know, teenagers and college students, th- th- they're, they're falling in the same patterns as their secular counterparts. And, uh, and, and for some of them, that, that sexuality and their, uh, you know, the promiscuity is is a big reason why you know they they don't retain their faith, mm-hmm. right? And and I think for us, biblically speaking, this is just it's Romans chapter one. It's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, and what what technology and pornography have done combined. You you put those two things together, and the level of access that young people have. I mean, you I hear stories now of elementary you know age boys. Who uh, who access pornography on their phones and then they get addicted from very early ages, 10, 11, mm-hmm. 12. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the addiction that ha- then you know you, that accelerates as they get into junior high and high school. And uh, imagine a kid who's been just conditioned by pornography for 10, 15 years of his life. I mean, the, the impact is huge. And um, yeah, so I think this is something very serious that we have to we have to think carefully about in the church. Yeah, um, Jeff Myers was on here. I believe it was last week, and about his uh, his organization as well, Summit Ministries, which you've done some work with too. And yeah, in his book, we're going to be talking about when he comes back on the Secret Battle of Ideas about God. He has a session talking about him watching a football game with some friends, and there comes on a commercial for Viagra, and someone mm-hmm. says, "We have guys in our twenties right now." who have to use Viagra. And the yep. reason they do is because they've watched porn for so long that what they would call an ordinary woman just can't turn them on anymore. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, I would believe it was in, uh, it was Time Magazine did an article of the impact of uh, pornography on young men. 
Uh, and that this is this is what they you know what they found this there's this epidemic and now what it's actually doing here, here's the irony right it, it it promises sexual gratification and in the end it delivers impotency mm-hmm. right it, it it actually robs young men mm-hmm. and young women of sexual intimacy mm-hmm. and so uh, this is something we have to address and I think what you know, one thing that we need to do in the church is do a better job of painting a beautiful picture of the biblical view of sexuality. Often our message has just been, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't, right? It's wrong. Yeah. God says it's wrong, which is obviously an important part of it. Yes, God has moral commands. Um, but there's a reason why he gives us moral commands, because he's a good God, a loving God, who gives us also good gifts. And I think we need to help young people capture the beauty of biblical sexuality and not merely the prohibition. There is a no, God gives us a no to promiscuous sex because he's got this beautiful yes waiting for you. And it's marriage within the intimacy, or sorry, sexuality within the intimacy of marriage. And it doesn't mean it's all roses, right? We all know that, of course. There's the other side of, you know, yep. well, we live in a fallen world. But um, what God offers is so much richer and deeper and more beautiful than the world offers. You know, when you talk about the message that the church gives, uh, I, I always think back to the message that I heard growing up. Because, see, ultimately, you could count the number of sermons I've heard about sex in my 37 years on one hand, I'd say, mm. which is a problem. But... I remember when I was in Bible college, a single college male, I went to a church, I was a team of time, but you're having the silver ring thing service, which is like true love weights and such. Mm-hmm. And so the past, the associate pastor gets up to give a message. And he says, I want you to know if you're having sex before marriage, it's going to be for selfish reasons. Okay, I can agree with that, sure. He says, you need to be asking yourself some other questions. What if I get pregnant? What if I get an STD? What about the guilt that I would feel? What about what I would have to tell my future spouse on a wedding night? On and on, these kinds of objections. I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, excuse me, Pastor, those sound like selfish reasons to me as well. And the whole time he's going on about this, hardly anything said about joy. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing this audience, and I'm getting bored. And the thought that I tell people about this is, say, look, if you are teaching about sex at a church and you have a college guy in the audience and he's single and he's getting bored, you are doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that I, I, you know, I think that, I think we've seen now, uh, and I've heard a lot of people talk about, yeah, how, how we've, the, the church's message on this has been adequate, inadequate mm-hmm. for the last 20 years. Yeah. And uh, so we need to rethink that. You know, something I think we should also say is that some people say, well, my kid's not going out into the world. He's not going to encounter this kind of stuff and such. I, I always like to give this picture. You've got a boy who's, say, 13 years old, good Christian boy, and he wants to listen to a song from a favorite Christian band. He doesn't have a CD, so I go on YouTube, listen. And, you know, there on the side of Relay of Videos, 10 questions every Christian must answer. Something of that sort. One click is all it takes. And he's going down the path towards atheism at that point mm-hmm. if he has mm-hmm. not been equipped. And, you know, I just think that in this day and age, you know, maybe if we lived in the 1950s or so, it might have been possible to isolate your children. 
it is no longer possible. Yeah, I think you're right. In in, in with technology, it uh, you can't keep it out of your house. It seeps in. I mean, mm. unless you're gonna take your kids and lock them up in the basement, you know, chained mm. to the water heater, <laughs> mm. uh, the culture's coming in, and uh, isolation is not a good long term strategy. Inoculation is uh, yeah. preparing your kid, and that's 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 a uh, you know our goal. In fact, I use analogy. Um, in the book I wrote with John Stone Street, uh, A Practical Guide to Culture, uh, the analogy of surfing, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've always, uh, I've surfed all my life. And when I started having kids, I just, I always had this huge desire for my kids to go surfing with me. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did I, how did I get them to the point where they could actually paddle out on their own and ride waves with dad? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't, you know, when they're two years old, I didn't just throw them in the ocean and say, okay, go for it, right? There was protection. Mm-hmm. But there was protection so I could train them and teach them and then get their feet wet and take them in the shallows and Mm -hmm. then eventually get them to the bigger waves. And all this preparation was so that one day they would eventually be able to paddle out with me on their own, right? So there's protection, Mm -hmm. but for the purpose of being able to do this on their own. And in the same way, we want to protect kids when they're young, especially in this day and age. There's appropriate protection so that we can train them and teach them and ground them in the truth so that we can eventually send them out confidently that they're going Mm -hmm. to be okay in the culture and they're going to be able to resist the culture and they're going to be able to ultimately make an impact for the culture. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the approach we've got to take as parents. remind everyone out there, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, and everything we do here is listener-supported by people like you. It's people who want to support a ministry that's out there trying to do its best, and you know, Brett was just saying when he came on the show about what an honor it was to be on with a great lineup that we have here, and folks, I do try to bring an amazing lineup. When I see a new book coming out, I think it's going to be really good for a show, I try to get my hands on it as soon as possible and get you that information. If there's a topic I think needs to be covered, I try and find the best book on it and get that out there. And folks, this is a labor of love that I do. And I could really use your support. So please consider going to deeperwatersapologetics.com and you'll find a link there that says help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And you click that link there, and you get taken to a ministry of risen Jesus. You've come to the right place. That's uh, my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make a donation. You get in touch with Mike or Debbie or Ari or myself and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. They will make sure we get that donation and it will be tax deductible. You can also buy ebooks that I've either written or co-written on Amazon, written a creed for the ages, the Apostles' Creed and Today's Christian. Co-written books like Defining Inerrancy, Groundless, God, and Natural Disasters, others. And you can uh, 
Also support us by buying jewelry. Now, guys, we, we spent some time talking about the issues of sexuality in such state, and part of that involves the issues of marriage. And if you want to have a good marriage, guys, it really helps to keep the lady happy. Happy wife, happy life. And I, I hope you've noticed it by now, but women tend to love jewelry. I mean, my wife has an, has an allergy to knicker. She can't wear a lot, but she loves wearing what she can. So guys, how would you like to give that lady in your life some jewelry? And you know what? You can support a great ministry at the same time. This one. Just go to our store, Premier Jewelers, there. If you need help, just get in touch with me. I'll help you out. Whatever you purchase, 25% of that goes to Deeper Waters. So if you make an $80 purchase, we automatically get $20 of that purchase. So guys, the way I see it is you can buy something great for that lady in your life to make up that big screw-up that you recently did with her. Or you can buy something for that lady in your life to make up for that big screw-up that I know you're going to make with her. If you can't do any of these, please consider going on iTunes and leaving a positive review for the Deeper Waters podcast. If you can do those, please also still consider leaving a positive review anyway. I really love to see them. Um, Brett, do you have an organization you'd like to see people donate to? Well, yeah, that would be uh, Maven. We mm-hmm. uh, launched Maven in September, and uh, right now we're in the process of doing a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, work. We have three main initiatives. We are developing uh, mm-hmm. online resources. We have a whole virtual training initiative where we want to develop stuff for parents and youth leaders and pastors, and but we also want to develop you know stuff for students, from podcasts to videos to articles. So we're working on that. We also are developing some live events and some student conferences. And then our third initiative is what we call immersive experiences. And this is kind of taking those Utah missions experiences and Berkeley mission experiences and creating this worldview training experience for students to actually walk through and to live out. And um, so we're developing that. We are uh, uh, bringing people on board. We're raising support. And uh, we would love to have people support uh, the ministry that we want to do with young people. And that's at maven, M-A-V-E-N, truth.com. That's correct. Maventruth.com. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get maven.com and uh, there was already uh, like a fancy car rental place that already had that. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, But Maven Truth, the word truth just captures what we want to, uh, you know, what we want to do. We want to know and live the truth. Mm-hmm. So maventruth.com. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Brett, if people are going to want to give to your organization, that's us a question. What kind of fruits have you been seeing so far? What kind of results have you seen? Uh, are you talking about through Maven? Yes. Uh, well, again, we just launched in September, um, but uh, uh, we've seen, uh, well, one thing that's been really fun to watch God do is uh, to bring people alongside to help us. When you start an organization, uh, there's just, there's so much work to be done, so many, so much organizational stuff, so much kind of behind the scenes business stuff that has to be done from getting your four, you know, 501c3 status to having someone book events, to web development, to just creating a database and all of that good stuff. And so we've, you know, God has brought some great people behind the scenes to do some stuff. Uh, I actually have a meeting this Friday with a man who is uh, uh, wants to volunteer to help build our whole missions experiences and to say, okay, how do we 
you know, I can only lead two to three of these. How do we develop this program in such a way that we're doing not two to three each year, but 20 to 30, where we're not just taking 40 or 50 or 60 kids per year, but we're taking, you know, a few hundred kids because this is such a transformative experience. And so one thing we've seen is just the expansion of that program. Um, and that's going to pay off uh, in the future as we continue to develop that. Uh, of course, <clears throat> um, there's uh, just just the, uh, the the speaking that I do with young people, um, the partnerships that we've developed in terms of teaching and training, uh, some of the speaking events I've done this past fall. Uh, just you know, you have students come to you and say, "Gosh, I've never heard you know Christianity talked about in these kinds of ways." Uh, I just hear that all the time, and uh, and and so I know there's a hunger out there for this, and uh, and so that's why we uh, are trying to build Maven as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. Now, are you able to reach anywhere in the world or anywhere in America, or what, what's your reach outreach cap- capacities right now? Yeah, well, um, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's worldwide. I mean, obviously through the web, mm-hmm. um, but we've had some conversations actually about doing youth conferences in other parts of the country. Uh, eventually, I can see us doing student worldview conferences mm-hmm. that are, are compelling, uh, that are not boring, uh, but that don't put, you know, do- doesn't lower the bar for students, but actually raises the bar. Um, gives them the knowledge that they desperately need. We, I could see us doing those, not mm-hmm. just in the U.S., but uh, even in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so we, 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 we hope to, to have a huge impact in coming alongside the church and parents and, uh, you know, impacting the next generation. Mm-hmm. So what's for what's go? I mean, if uh, Maven is successful, what do you hope to see in, say, 10 years? In 10 years, I would love to have online resource. I'd love to be the place where young people go for online resources uh, in terms of Christian knowledge, apologetics worldview. I want to, we want to develop compelling resources, you know, and a lot of times in the apologetics world, we focus so much on content, which is important. Obviously the content is important, but we also need to think about the wrapper um, for this generation, because I spent a lot of time talking to students and a lot of time with students and surveying students and just getting in their world. And we now have a kid in our church, you know, uh, I'm speaking broadly here. We have kids in our churches that have been, uh, they're digital natives. So they have been raised on technology. They have had a screen in front of their faces since birth. The screen has been omnipresent. So they are Mm -hmm. media saturated, social media saturated, image based. And unfortunately, so here's the challenge for us. What that, that kind of kid who's been socialized that way and has been raised that way, um, doesn't first focus on the content. Uh, instead they, they see the rapper. So, for instance, I was I was at a recent youth event where a video was played, and the the uh, the video was fantastic. I mean, the content of the video was fa- fantastic. It was about the truth, and it was solid content. But the way that it was done, so everything from the music to the graphics to just the video work, I thought was really off. And I thought, gosh, I bet this is ineffective to hit these young people. And afterwards I interviewed some of the young people just to get their feel of like that, what, you know, how, 
what they thought of that video. And sure enough, everything about the way that that video was done and produced and packaged turned them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of the kids, it was hilarious because one of the uh, the high schoolers I talked to said, he, <laughs> the way he put it was, it feels like it's 2012, which of course, uh, you know, this was 2012 was a way long time ago, right? That's Yeah. Uh, oh, and, Stone Age track recording. Yeah, for a high school student. and But that was his way of communicating. And that was so outdated. And so then I said, well, okay, but all right. So yeah, it didn't have the look and feel you you like. Uh, what, what about the message? What about what they said? And there was silence. And I said, well, I don't even remember what it said. And it just dawned on me that the way it was packaged, the way it was presented actually became such an obstacle to these media saturated kids that they did not hear the message or the content at all. And so we can't just focus on the content. We have to focus on how it's packaged as well. We have to be more savvy about this. We don't, of course, we don't sacrifice the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that kid, we want to be the place where they are seeing compelling videos. They're hearing compelling uh, you know, things. They, they, maybe some of this worldview and apologetics is, is somehow put into narrative form where it's not just mm-hmm. A, a talking head, but somehow we weave it into story. Uh, I want to. We want to be that place for young people in ten years, where mm-hmm. and, and where the church sees. Oh gosh, this is how it's done, right? This is how we present the truth in compelling ways that woos them back. So ultimately, we mm-hmm. can take them much deeper. That's just the entry point. We want to take them much deeper, and uh, in ten years, we want to be doing, you know, eight or ten worldview conferences around the country that are attracting mm-hmm. thousands of students because they're coming and uh, and they're seeing the truth presented in compelling ways, in relevant ways, in deep ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want to then be taking 20 to 30 groups per year to Utah and Berkeley. And we've got ideas for other worldview missions experiences where now we get the kids out from behind the four walls of the church and we get them into real life situations where they're engaging with the truth, they're defending the truth, they're sharing the gospel, uh, they're living out the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just want to see those three initiatives just expanded on a level where where we're literally impacting thousands upon thousands of young people in our church every year. Yeah, I like what you said about how our presentation has to be so good and such, because I think too many people are think that you can do evangelism like it was still the 1950s or 60s. You just go out there and wave a Bible and say what it says and watch people come, and it just no longer works that way. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, we, 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 we have been secularized in so many different ways. So there are these conditions, intellectual conditions, moral conditions in the culture that really fight against the Christian message. Mm-hmm. And so we've just got to, we've got a lot of work to do. Got a lot of work to do. You know, I'd say especially when it comes back to the topic of sexuality, for instance, and I've told so many Christians before is, look, we have to get our message out there because if we don't, then they get one message from the other side and no message from us. Mm-hmm. Guess which message we're going to wind up believing? Yeah. Yeah. So how does someone get in touch with Maven then if they want to find out about any events in their area or anything like that? Well, right now they can visit maventruth.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, our our, um, our website just has some basic information. 
if you're interested in bringing me out to speak, there's some information there. Uh, we are in the process of developing a, a more expansive website that we uh, will be able to put content on. And uh, we'll have a, actually a different portal for students and for adults. And um, uh, But maventruth.com will be the same URL when we launch the new website. So that's the place to get in touch with us. And, and you can subscribe to our email list. And uh, as we continue to build this thing and update it, uh, we'll stick, you know, keep sending out information and news about what we're doing and, and the resources that we're offering. So uh, you can subscribe to that at maventruth.com. Well, I don't think there's enough time to get into another question, so let's start wrapping things up here. And Brad, I know you've said it just now. In fact, but let's mind be Brad. You, do you have a blog, an email, a website, way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yeah, our website is maventruth.com. And uh, when we uh, launch the newly designed website, there will also be uh, articles and blogs and podcasts and that stuff that we'll be uh, putting on there. So maventruth.com would be the place to go. Do you have any final message you'd like to leave today for Deeper Waters audience? You know, I actually want to offer a, a free resource to your uh, Deeper Waters audience. That sounds um, good. I, uh, I am a teaching fellow with uh, a ministry called Impact 360. Mm-hmm. And Impact 360 is, is uh, they're one of the allies in this fight, in this battle. They're an ally with Maven in this. And um, uh, Impact 360, is a, they have a two-week worldview and apologetic experience for high school students. It's a, it's a camp called Immersion. It happens every summer. Uh, it's in July. And I, I there is just... Uh, I don't don't know if there's another program like this where you get hours and hours of the classroom training where students are taught the truth, you know, they're taught apologetics and worldview and theology and, uh, you know, from some really great folks, but then they're taken out and given different experiences. So they'll get training in Islam and then they're taken to a, a, a mosque where they get to interact with an imam. And, uh, and they do other things like that. And so it's a two-week worldview experience that's unlike any other. And I would encourage uh, parents and grandparents and youth leaders to look into that uh, at Impact 360. Impact is offering uh, a free course. It's actually, the course is usually $30. It's called Explore Truth. So if you went to the Impact 360 website right now and you signed up for the Explore Truth uh, course, which is like seven video sessions, It'd be thirty bucks, but for your listeners today, Nick, uh, they can get that for free uh, if they simply text the word "Impact 360." Uh, no spaces, just "Impact 360," all one word. Um, if they text that to the number four 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 nine nine nine, so three fours, three nines, text the word "Impact 360," and then uh, "Impact" will actually send you a link to get the Explore Truth video series. It's a training series for free. And uh, so I wanted to throw that out there. Uh, Impact is, a, I think, a great ally in helping equip our young people. And, uh, and they're offering that free resource for you and for your young people. Excellent. And I hope you know also that Deeper Waters would be glad to work with Maven and with Impact 360 in whatever way we can. Well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's been great getting to talk to you about this, and I really hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Dr. Mon, everyone, next week we're having a discussion creation or evolutionary creation. 
do we have to choose? Uh, could a good Christian come down on the evil side on this one? We'll find out next week. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off. <laughs>